If you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18 is where we are in our study of this wonderful book, this foundational book. This which is God's word. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seas of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife Sarah? they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away 
and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Who appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre? The Lord. The Lord appeared to Abraham. You think Abraham immediately knew what was going on? Doubtful. Did it become clear to him who he was talking with? Absolutely. Did he know the voice of the Lord? Certainly. Had he been visited by the Lord before? Yes. But when the Lord came this time, it didn't start out with him falling on the ground and worshiping. It started out with his treating these three men, because that's what they looked like, as guests offering wonderful Middle Eastern hospitality, eager to provide hospitality. He saw three men standing nearby. The Lord appeared, and what he saw was, what Abraham saw was three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. What time of day was it? It was the heat of the day. Abraham is sitting at the entrance to his tent, undoubtedly hoping for a a breeze, and, uh, and suddenly he's going to become very energetic, very athletic, you might even say. He, in offering hospitality, says, let me get you something to eat. I'll, I'll get you water to wash your feet. You've been walking, and, uh, and then let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. We could have a whole sermon titled, Do as you say. How many times 
Do we tell somebody we're going to do something for them and then fail to follow through? Has anybody ever had someone tell you they would do something for you and then they failed to follow through? Anybody, anybody? Oh, a number of you. I think just about everybody has had the experience of having somebody tell you, I'll do this for you, and they didn't follow through. Now, how many of you have ever told someone that you would do something for them and then failed to follow through? Yeah, that would be all of us again. Okay. Because we may have intended to. It's not that we were necessarily seeking to be deceitful, but we just failed to do what we said. They said to him, very well, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, quick, get three seas of flour and knead it and bake some bread. Not, hey honey, we're expecting company tonight, do you think you could come up with something? It's now. They're here, we don't want to keep them waiting. It takes a little time to make bread, doesn't it? Get going. So he hurries in and tells her, do this quickly. Then he ran to the herd. How old is this guy? 99 years old. What's he doing? Running. Why? Because he wants to serve. He's running in order to serve his guests. He ran to the herd. He selected a choice tender calf. He wanted to be sure it was going to be good tender meat. This is called veal. Oh, I've heard about veal. That's not nice. I mean, you're not supposed to do that. That, that would almost make me want to be a vegan. I mean, killing a young calf? I mean, they're so cute. Have you ever seen a young calf, Pastor Wood? Yes. Aren't they adorable? Yes. They're also delicious. Okay? And so he selected a young, tender calf, a choice one from the herd. And he gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set these before them. And while they ate, he joined in. No. He has hurried to do all this in the heat of the day, and he serves it to them, and then he stands and observes as they eat. Wow. That's a servant's heart. Where's your wife Sarah? They ask him. Isn't that interesting? That may have been a major clue for Abraham right there because she had recently had her name changed. Remember, she used to be Sarai and God said from now on you call her Sarah. Now God shows up at Abraham's tent and after the meal is being consumed, he says, where's your wife Sarah? Uh, there in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent. 
She was inside the tent. She wasn't standing in the opening where she could be seen, or they wouldn't have said, where's your wife? He says, they're in the tent. But she's just inside, and she's listening. Is it going to be anything good in this conversation? Anything I need to know about? Well, yeah, something huge. You're going to have a baby boy. Now, Sarah was listening. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well-advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. By the way, she wasn't able to have children before menopause. And so the idea that now she, of all people, is finally going to have a baby seemed ludicrous, just impossible. How could that be? So Sarah laughed to herself. To herself. She didn't go, ha! <laughs> she laughed to herself. She laughed quietly, inwardly. She laughed to herself as she thought, not as she said. She thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's another sermon. Is anything too hard for the Lord? God is going to ask that question of Jeremiah and various others throughout the years, and let me tell you, he's going to ask it of us. If you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to lead you into situations where you are confronted with the reality that was there all along, and that is we are utterly dependent on him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And so the Lord said, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Now, he'd already said that, and he just says it again. Because you see, even when we don't receive his word the way we should, his word is still true. And when God has said, I will do this, that's what's going to happen. Now, there are many promises in the Scripture where God says, if you do this, I will do this. That's called a conditional promise. If you do this, I will do this. There are places where God says, if you don't do this, I won't do this. Or I will do this if you do this. The phrases can be arranged different ways, but it's all the same thing. It's a conditional promise. This was not a conditional promise. God had declared what was his decision from before the world began. Sarah is going to give birth to a son. And it's not going to happen at some indefinite point in the future. It's going to happen in the next year. Sarah was afraid. She heard what the Lord said. 
And that had to be embarrassing because she's thinking, I didn't laugh out loud and I didn't say anything out loud. Those were my thoughts. And so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Is it any good to try and con God? I mean, does it accomplish anything? Does it make any sense? Is it not utterly insane for us to try and fool God about something? God not only knows everything we do, God knows everything we say. God knows everything we think. Before a word is on my tongue, thou knowest it altogether. God knows what we're going to say before we know what we're going to say. God knows what's going to happen, not just today, but way down the road. God's knowledge is infinite because God is infinite. Jesus said he knows the number of hairs on our head. I showered this morning. You're welcome. I had to take a tissue and wipe the drain after I was finished because some of what was on my head when I got into the shower was lying on top of the drain when I was ready to get out of the shower. The number of hairs on my head changed this morning. May have changed since I got out of the shower, got dressed, and got in the car to come down here. I don't know. God does. God knows how many epithelial cells I have in my body. Okay? God knows not only how many hairs are on top of my head, he knows how many are sprouting out of my nose. God knows everything about me and about you. So the idea that we're going to try and make God think that we're better than we are, okay? He didn't see that. Yes, he did. One of the things that angers God, you can read about it in various places, including the book of Ezekiel, is he says, the people say God doesn't see. He doesn't know. God says, I see and I know. Now, I'm pursuing that because there's this curious thing about God saying, he's going to go down and check things out at Sodom. See if it's as bad as is being reported to him. (laughs) If God has infinite knowledge, why would he do that? Well, it's called an anthropomorphism. It's one of the ways in which God shows himself to us in a way that we can better relate, okay? An example is way back in the garden when the infinite, all-knowing God goes for a stroll and Adam and Eve, who've recently discovered that they don't have any clothes, have tried to cover themselves with leaves and hide in the bushes, And the all-seeing, all-knowing God says, Adam, where are you? 
Well, see, you know, sometimes God's busy. He's running the whole universe. Uh, it says he, he knows all the stars by name. <laughs> you know, we can't even count them. God knows them and named them because he made them and he governs them. He got busy, I guess, and hadn't located Adam yet. Adam was so well camouflaged with the leaves. Okay. Crazy. Stupid. But God does these things from time to time in order to relate to us. Not because he doesn't know. Humanity decided after the flood that we were going to build a tower that would be so great it would reach all the way up to the heavens. God said, what are they doing? Look, look at, I'm going to have to go down there and see what's going on. Oh, why? Because God didn't know? No, that is God's way of saying, what a joke. You think what you're doing is so immense. It's going to threaten my throne. You're going to build your way to me. Can't be done. The only way that we can be reconciled to God is through Jesus Christ. He came to us. And when he came, he just looked like a man. He didn't have any form or comeliness that we should desire him. People didn't say when Jesus walked around, oh, wow, look at that guy. According to the Bible, no, that's not the way it was. And so these three men got up to leave. And they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Who's talking? God. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. That's another sermon right there. All nations on earth will be blessed through him. How how is that the case? Well, there are more Nobel Prize winners who are Jews than any other ethnic group. So, um, as, as Dennis Prager was pointing out recently, um, Jonas Salk, who gave us the polio vaccine, was a Jew. So, you could say, quite accurately, between the musicians and the artists and the scientists and the medical advances... We've all been greatly blessed through the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham. That would be true. That's not what this is about. It is through the Jews that God sent his son, born of a virgin, in order to take the penalty for our sin, to die in our place, All of us stood under the wrath of God and the only way we could be reconciled was for Jesus to take the punishment that we deserve and he did. And 
one day gathered around his throne, there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Because God said so. And he's making it happen even now. All nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him. Sermon right there. I have chosen him. Not, well, it's, all nations on earth are going to be uh, blessed uh, through him because he is one who has chosen to follow me. That's not what he says. He says, the reason this is going to happen is because I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. He says, I chose him to make this happen, and it's going to happen. Despite the unfaithfulness of the Jews generation after generation after generation, including when Jesus came. Uh, please don't venture into something anti Semitic. I'm not. What I'm saying is the Jews, for all that they've contributed, are a bunch of people who need Jesus. Because it's not our goodness that reconciles us to God, it's Jesus who reconciles us. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcome that has reached me. If not, I'll know. Who's he saying this to? He's saying this not only to those two angelic beings, but to Abraham. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, and Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous? See, he was saying that for Abraham's benefit, because Abraham is about to see absolute destruction, and God wants him to know, I'm personally checking this out, and if it's not as bad as I've been told, I'll know it. You think God already knew? Of course. God already know everything about what was going on in Sodom? Absolutely. But God says, don't worry, I'll go check it out personally. And so Abraham says, look, if there are 50 people there, would you spare the city, please? I mean, it, it would not be like you to destroy everybody if 50 of them were really righteous people. God says, you're right. That wouldn't be like me. Okay. There are 50 righteous people. I won't do it. Um, what if it was 45? I mean, that's just a difference of five. You wouldn't, you wouldn't destroy a whole bunch of people just over a difference of five people, right? If you want a master class in negotiation and salesmanship, this is it. This is it. How about just, I mean, five off? Could, 
Did you take five off? I mean, you know, let's, let's, I mean, we want to, we want to make this deal work, right? So let's just, you know, if we just reduce it by five, you can, you can go five, can't you? Yeah, I can go five. Well, since you've said you can go five, how about another five? That's what he does. God says, okay, I'll give you another five. He says, okay, so that makes 10, right? So what if we take another 10 off? God goes along with it. All the way down to when he says, if there are just 10 righteous people in Sodom, I will not destroy them. To this day, the Jews hold to that number 10 as being the the minimum number we've got to have in order to have a group come together to worship. You got to have a group of 10. Because if just 10, if just 10 in a city, in a city, in a wicked city, if just 10 people are honestly seeking to do the will of God, God will spare it. If you don't think that America has been spared for a long, long time because of a minority of people in this country who are earnestly seeking after God, then you just don't have any understanding of American history or culture. If you think, well, you know, boy, now we're just going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, have you ever have you ever seen anything like it? I mean, it's just so bad. It is horrible. You can't possibly believe that it's worse than I believe it is. Man, it's not like it's not like the old days. No, they had their own evil, their own wickedness. Well, Pastor Wood, don't you think there have been times when the culture was more influenced by Christians? Yes, I do. Yes, I think there have been times when it wasn't as rotten as it is right now. But that just brings us to something Jesus said about if the salt loses its savor. If the world out there is rotten, the problem starts with God's people. God's promise in Chronicles is, if my people were called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. If it's rotten out there, it's because the salt isn't doing its job. God says, I'll heal their land if they will turn from their wicked ways. Not if the whole country repents. The whole country's not going to repent. But oh, may God grant a revival among his people that we would repent and seek his face. So I just have to say, it looks like, you know, Abraham kind of got the best of God in this. No, not at all. Who was controlling the agenda? Take a look at the last verse in the chapter. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. God was the one walking Abraham through this. 
And God says, if there are 10 righteous people in Sodom, I will not destroy the city. If you have a Bible that has headings on the chapters, the heading for the next chapter, Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. What does that tell you? There were not 10. There were not 10. Father, we live in a world that is so filled with evil. And yet we can't fix that. But we ask you to fix us. Grant that we would truly repent of our sin and truly humble ourselves before you and pray and seek your face. And we will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.